What's going on, everyone? It's crazy to think that this episode, episode number 13, marks the halfway point of the first season of this podcast. My motivation all along has been to help bring some positivity and motivation to a world that could really use it right now. I just want to say thank you to all of you who have listened, liked, subscribed, and shared this podcast, because without your support, this would not be a reality. So thank you for your continued support because it's with your help that this podcast will be around for a long time. I wish this wasn't true, but unfortunately, sometimes bad things happen to good people. All I have to do is say 2020 and our minds can think of all the bad things that happened during that one year alone. So how do we come to terms when faced with the truth that life has forced us on a detour and things might be different than we originally expected? Where do we get the motivation and courage to keep moving forward when bad things do happen and we find ourselves in a dark place? My guest today has been through the darkness and come out the other side. After finishing a successful college wrestling career as a three-time All-American and NAIA national champion, Joe Tezak had his life planned out. He knew what career he wanted to pursue and he knew how he was going to get there. Until one night, a freak accident left him paralyzed from the waist down. This experience would have broken many people, but not Joe. Today, we're going to talk about dealing with life's detours, finding your way out of dark places, and why it's important to treat your challenges like an opponent. I'm Anthony Robles, and welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. What does unstoppable mean to you? Unstoppable is just a, is just a mindset and a way of life. I think it's just uh, not being, being afraid to fail. Relentless. I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish when I set my priorities right, when I walk with God, and when, again, I, I live with that mindset, being the best that I can be at every moment. I think there's nothing more powerful on earth than the human will. Anthony Robles has shown us that impossible is nothing. Anthony Robles is a national champion. You're listening to the Unstoppable Podcast with Anthony Robles, brought to you by Safe Streets. Please welcome today's special guest, Joe Tezak. Hey everyone, before we start this episode... I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Safe Streets, the leader in smart home security and automation, an ADT authorized provider. Our smart security pros will help you evaluate your home security and automation needs to protect your home and everything you value most. Get a free quote today. Call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. All right, Joe, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing extremely well. Just enjoying life. Actually, I just got engaged over the weekend, so I've got the whirlwind of, of the wedding plans going on now. <laughs> uh, congratulations. That's great news. Well, thank you so much. So, you know, I know we're getting off into this January. How, how's the new year treating you so far? Uh, not too bad. You know, despite everything else going on in our wonderful COVID world, I'm out here in Washington, D.C., so it's uh, today actually is officially inauguration day, so um, it's a uh, crazy environment out here right now with um, uh, everything going on. It's kind of organized chaos, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I know when we were trying to coordinate a time to talk, you had mentioned that today was your day off. What is it that you do exactly? 
Well, so I work with Department of Homeland Security, and the reason, ironically, we have the day off is uh, for federal employees who work here um, in the Department of Homeland Security or even any federal government, Inauguration Day is actually a day we get off um, just because of everything going down. I mean, pretty much downtown D.C., which I'm only literally four or five blocks from, gets locked down it's shut down so getting in and out of the city traffic and everything is is pretty crazy but specifically um like i said i work for the department of homeland security and an agency with them called u.s customs and border protection um so anthony you have to be very familiar with them being in arizona one of the agencies that that i work directly with and is part of u.s customs border protection is the border patrol um so they work down there so within u.s customs and border protection you know again we monitor all the borders um, including Border Patrol. Specifically, I work in our human resources. Been in working just in human resources a couple, of, just a couple of years now. I was over, started out in San Diego, but I'm the deputy chief of staff for our uh, human resources. So we're responsible for the hiring of, uh, you know, we're about 60,000 strong. So we have to keep up our Border Patrol agents and our agents and our officers, keep them hired. Uh, that's really interesting and, and sounds like an, an, an amazing career to get into. How long have you been with the Department of Homeland Security? So crazy enough, it's going to be almost uh, 20 years here coming up in, in wow. April. So I started back in 2001 and I started in San Diego with them. A um, wrestling connection is, is how I got involved in them. I was uh, a high-ranking official in the San Diego area and asked if I'd ever thought about you know being involved in the federal government and stuff. And I said, definitely. I had actually looked into joining and getting into the Secret Service at one time. And I said, yeah, definitely. He says, well, we can get you hired. Here's how the process works. So I went there and in April of 2001, um, you know, months before 9-11, I started a um, very simple job. Just I was literally uh, came in at a low-level staff assistant answering phones and doing it, but it was my foot in the door that has now, you know, spent 20 years and I've been able to progress out of San Diego into here in D.C. Wow, that's really just interesting to see how your journey is taking you to where you are today. I know when yeah. Coach Campo, your former high school coach, when he reached out to me on social media, and he shared a little bit with me about your story, what you've overcome and your accomplishments, uh, I, I was really inspired and excited to talk with you and hear more about your story. So uh, before we talk a little bit more about what you're up to now, can yeah. we go back to the very beginning? Like, like where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Sure. Um, so I grew up actually as a military brat, moving around. Both uh, both my parents uh, were uh, Air Force officers. Um, they actually divorced when they when I was young, when I was uh, right around third grade. So um, I moved around my whole childhood. I was literally I was born in Spain, um, and so it, it was very me, myself and my, one of my brothers. Uh, we were both born in Spain. So I have a very unique thing is my. Uh, birth certificate is completely in Spanish. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because I was technically born on Spanish soil. Um, so I was born over there, but I mean, I lived in Virginia at one time. I lived in New Mexico. Um, I lived up in Central California, um, up in the um, Merced Stockton area. I lived in in Riverside area, obviously San Diego. I lived overseas in England for a while. So being a, a military brat, I, I moved all over the place. For me, I moved around quite a bit when I was a kid, but it was never out of the country like that. It was mostly back and forth. So, yeah, it was great moving around. I, I, I wouldn't change that part of my childhood at all. Um, it, I really enjoyed seeing different parts of the world. Um, but my high school career with wrestling really started in San Diego. 
I bet that must have been amazing to be able to experience those different things, the different cultures and, and just have that different, I guess, you, like you said, that different outlook on things now, you know, because you have these different perspectives, you have those experiences. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. And, and I know you said that you didn't get into wrestling until you were in San Diego. So right. what brought about that? So my original first experience was with wrestling actually was when I was actually very, very young. Um, but it was first, second and third grade. I lived in Virginia, probably about 200 miles from where I live now. My dad was stationed at an Air Force base there and he had never been a part of wrestling or anything. So I'm still to this day, not sure how he uh, clicked me into to wrestling, but hmm. he signed me up for wrestling and I was in first grade. And again, I, I'm a small guy. I'm not a big guy. And my first year wrestling, I don't even think they had wrestling shoes small enough to fit my feet. <laughs> and uh, I can remember, I think I wrestled the 49 pound weight class and I weighed maybe about 40 pounds. Because um, at that time, that was a 49 pounds. You know, I mean, that was it. <laughs> you know, so I wrestled first, second, and third grade. And, and then we moved again. And so where we had moved into Central California, they didn't have any youth wrestling programs. So I didn't start wrestling again until in eighth grade. Um, and that was when I was actually in, in England. And they actually, they didn't have middle school wrestling. It just started at high school. But one of the um, individuals was a, a young GI who was out of California. And so he tried to bring the eighth graders in. And I was like, oh, I used to wrestle before. I want to go try this again. Yeah. And uh, that first year back in eighth grade is when it really clicked. Like, man, I really missed this. This is a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, so then I moved to San Diego going in. I wrestled one year as a, as a freshman over there. And uh, then I moved to San Diego from England and uh moved there and that that's where i met um coach campo jose and uh things just clicked from there and and i stayed there in san diego uh, you know for you finishing off your high school career uh how did that play out for you how did you end up your high school career so yeah my high school career um from a success standpoint uh, of being tremendous flexible um you know, in terms of place and stuff, it was not that great. I, California, I mean, is one of the toughest states to place in. I mean, we got one state title for the whole state. You know, there's no class A, class, you know, five, you know, whatever. And so you can come from a school, for those who don't know, of 50 people or 5,000 people and win the state tournament. Um, I was a two-time state qualifier um, and uh, never placed up there. My senior year, um, I was one match from placing um, where if I would have won, I would have, you know, worst I would have done is, is eighth and I lost that match in my senior. And that was tough because I knew that the guy I had, I was kind of licking my chops going into the match because I had wrestled him earlier in the year at a different tournament and I had beaten him pretty well. And so I knew I had this guy and I ended up losing to him. Um, you know, I probably, I don't know if I went in overconfident or, but, you know, just kind of not, you know, I was more thinking, Hey, I'm going to place in the state tournament. Not that I have to beat this guy first and, you know, one match at a time. Um, I was already looking ahead. Um, so I ended up losing that match. So that was a little heartbreaking, um, from that standpoint, you know, so I didn't place, um, I was not highly recruited for the other aspect. I was 103 pounder coming out of, uh, out of high school. So, uh, I started, I really was my own advocate for, um, for re recruiting. You know, I had a couple small schools around kind of reach out to me and stuff, but I thought, well, there's not going to be a division one school that's going to look for a 103 pounder who didn't even place in the state. 
Um, so I went in our resource center and started looking back in the Midwest because I mean, I knew the heart of wrestling was in the Midwest and I started looking at smaller schools and uh, I sent out, you know, my name out to these schools, sent out videos and, and did that and kind of was my own recruiter for myself because I just, I loved wrestling. You know, I just wanted to continue my wrestling career someplace. I ended up settling on a small school up in, in North Dakota, um, an NAI school called the University of Mary. And uh, it, it was tough because I was also, my other, I literally had a coin flip between um, University of Northern Colorado, which was a division two school. Um, and the great thing about Northern Colorado they had a good program, but I also uh, had family in Denver, which was nearby. In North Dakota, I had no family, but I just had this gut thing about going to North Dakota. And, you know, my dad was that same order. He said, you know, hey, sit down and write all the pros and cons about all the two schools. And, you know, and I went down and I did that. And at the end, it kind of came up like, and I just said, you know, hey, I'm going with my guts. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to North Dakota. And uh, he was very supportive of that. And so that's where I started out my college wrestling career up in North Dakota. I love that. And that's really cool that you, you know, you said you were a two-time state qualifier in California. That is, I mean, you would go any other state, you could definitely place or win those titles. So that's very impressive. And uh, I think that's a great lesson right there as well, is that you said, you know, coming out of high school, you weren't highly recruited. So you went after those schools, you went after those coaches. Uh, yeah. There's this, there's this quote I love. It says, when your ship doesn't come into port, you have to swim out to it, right? It's like, sometimes there's opportunities that you want opportunities that you're seeking. They might not be there for you. So you have to create your own opportunities. You have to go out there and look for them. And I think, uh, especially in these days, it's like, you know, when we want something, if we don't get it the way we expect, you know, if we don't get that opportunity that we don't have the path that we expect, then we kind of give up on it. We walk away and say, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. And just kind of just let that goal, let that dream die. So what was your biggest challenge your freshman year of college? My biggest challenge uh, my freshman year um, is I lost my biggest fan. My dad um, ended up, he had, when I was in high school, he had gotten uh, skin cancer and he had gotten some removed and he had gone through remission and everything. Mm -hmm. And I can remember he, he went up with, you know, helped me move my, me myself in my college dorm. And that was in September. I get a call in October from him saying, Hey, some new cancer popped up. He's going to be going in, he's going to be going into, uh, for surgery, you know, next month, um, to get it removed. Um, it had grown so much in, in a month's time that it was inoperable and my dad ended up passing away in December. So we went from September to, uh, you know, actually he passed away in January, you know, that I, he had said he got new cancer and passed away. And so here I am an 18 year old kid, you know, 2000 miles away in North Dakota. I really don't have any immediate family, you know, in terms of blood. And I just lost my dad, you know, and I get a phone call from, my stepmom saying, you know, about this and, you know, my, actually my, my, uh, college roommate, um, at that time was a track guy. And he actually found out before I did, because he was home. He was in our dorm when I was at practice and she had called and said, Hey, Joe, have Joe call. And he had mentioned it to her and he, you know, he was sitting there in my dorm room saying, Hey, Joe, you need to call home. You know, and he kind of had that look on his face and, and I get the notification and this is just right before Christmas. Oh. And, the amazing part about this is just before, you know, I had gotten two weeks before my, you know, my dad didn't relay how 
about a condition he was in. Um, and he was so excited for me, he didn't say anything. But our starting 118 pounder had gotten really sick and they thought he had jaundice from cutting weight and, and everything. And the doctor said, you know, hey, you got to stop cutting weight. Your liver is not looking good. We're running a bunch of tests. So they pulled me out of my red shirt year. And so here I am extremely excited telling my dad, you know, hey, I'm getting pulled out of red shirt year. I'm going to be used to starting 118 pounder for our team as a true freshman. And I'm really excited about this. Yeah. And he expressed nothing in terms of how he felt, um, you know, physically, because I mean, he knew what was happening. And uh, so I was on this really big high. And then I find out, you know, my dad passed away. And I go to this really, you know, dark place of low of, you know, how can, you know, I was on top of the world, you know, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm in understanding why this. And I, I was really lucky that, uh, you know, in hindsight, that I, found, you know, that I went to this school in North Dakota. It was a small school. There were 2,000 students there. And I was, the wrestlers that I had that on that team, you know, became my family immediately. And then the local families of, you know, the kids who were from that community, their parents and my wrestling coach and, and his wife and even the school. Um, I can remember going around to my college professor saying, hey, I have to leave. Um, and again, this is a week before finals, you know, it's before Christmas break, before finals. And I said, I, I just have to leave. I have to go home. My dad passed away. And they were like, just go. Don't worry about your finals. Um, we will uh, take care of it when you get back after the semester and everything. And I said, yeah. And so I just left. I didn't even take my finals. The, you know, I ran into the president of the school and it was a private Catholic school and, and she was a nun. She said, Joe, I heard about everything. Just leave, go home, be with your family. We'll worry about your school later. If I was in a larger university, I mean, if I would have been like you at Arizona State, I mean, Arizona State would have said, uh, sorry, Charlie, you either got to drop out of school or whatever it is. I mean, they're much more of a bigger corporation and business. And this school said, don't worry about it. Um, and I went home and I was with family. And, you know, in hindsight, my uh, college coach and my other wrestlers thought, you know, he's never going to come back. You know, I mean, he just... California kid, his dad passed away. He's not coming back. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so that Christmas was a really tough Christmas. Um, but I ended up, you know, trying to think about what I want to do. And I definitely had those thoughts of, of I'm not going to go back to school. Mm -hmm. I need to be back here for my family. I'll start up next year. I'll figure something out. Um, but being around family and, and talking to them, you know, again, and my dad, here he was again, my biggest fan of wrestling and loved to watch me wrestle. And I didn't tell this story earlier, but I mean, he actually got kicked out of a wrestling tournament um, my senior year. I mean, because really? of me, <laughs> I got, I was in a, uh, I had twisted my ankle really bad in the semis of the tournament to go to the state to go into, you know, to go into uh, first place. And I ended up uh, losing that match and then coming back wrestling for third and fourth. And I was in an overtime match and I threw the guy to his back and the ref, you know, had done twice. And then so, I'm, you know, here I am, I see the ref swing twice. And so that was two back points. And then I, that means I got the takedown. And so I let the guy roll through and I roll through with him. And then the ref calls it and gives him two points, uh -huh. you know, for the takedown. 
Um, and my dad comes running down from the stands, yelling and chewing out the ref. My dad was not that type of person. He gets kicked out of the tournament, you know? And so, that, I mean, that's how I'm getting, he was just supportive of his son, you know? And he, yeah. again, wasn't one of those fans up in the, in the stands where everybody's yelling, you know, like, who is that dad who just yells at the, it wasn't that at all, but I mean, he just, he saw what everybody else saw. Yeah. Um, and so I, I started to think about that after he had passed and, what would he want me to do and how would he want me to do things? And, and that's where I really, I realized I, I got to go back to school and I got to go back to wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because that's what he would tell me to do. I mean, if he was there, he said, you know, don't, wouldn't be telling me to put my life on hold. I mean, you got to continue on and everything. And, and so that's what I did. I went back up there and that first month back in January, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, I, I mean, I think uh, we had our home, our first home tournament that we host, and I, and I went 0-2 and out of the tournament. I, I'd never gone 0-2 and out of a tournament, mm-hmm. but, you know, just mentally, I just, I wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and, and slowly, you know, that, that built back up, and, and I got that confidence back in, in that community, and the, and the wrestlers that I have on that team, and, and because we were a small school and we were such a tight-knit bunch, um, their support and, and and being there with me to help me and push me through, push me through at practice and, and in the right ways and stuff. Uh, I got that confidence back and, and you know I, I finished up that I ended up qualifying for the uh, our national tournament and uh, you know went there and and was one match from place in my freshman year um, oh. and everything. So it, it it was it really that was a life changing event for me because I think um, I would be in a completely different place now if I did not go back to that school. And, um, you know, that was a, a turning point for me that I think from a positive and, and mental perspective has helped me to be where I'm at today. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. I I can't imagine that, that pain of, of losing your number one fan, your dad. Yeah. You know, that, 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 yeah. I can't imagine that. And, but it sounds like you were just extremely blessed to be in a situation, to be in a school where they supported you, where your teammates were behind you. And also yeah. to have such a great dad, it sounds like, who taught you those lessons that you reverted back to. You know, So it's kind of like that right. angel on your shoulder. You're thinking about what he taught you, what he would want you to do uh, to continue moving because you were you were at that crucial point where it was the crossroads. Yeah, right? where like, I was. Like that one decision that you made to go back, had you not made it, like you said, your life would be completely different possibly had you not yeah. pursued that, pursued wrestling and gone back to it. And, you know, just listening to your story up to this point, I mean, you, you've all the the obstacles, all the challenges that you went through, you overcame those things. And I think sometimes it's easy to get distracted along the journey when we we face the obstacles, right? We face those things um, that knock us down when we want to accomplish something. So, do you have any advice for people on how they can avoid just getting discouraged when they find themselves in situations in life to where you know they're down by five points or you know they're facing a big obstacle in their way that they don't think they can overcome? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've talked about a couple of things and, and we'll get into a couple of more things, but I mean, life is not easy. And I don't think God meant it to be easy um, by any means. Um, and those obstacles that, that, that you, you know, that you talked about uh, and when we have a goal or something like that, I mean, you know, they're, they're with us every single day. And um you know, in a lot of ways, those obstacles are are, are, are ways that, that God challenges us. Mm-hmm. And, and they're also, um, you know, those obstacles are, are what the devil tempts us with, you know, to really 
deter us from, from where we want to go. Um, and it's about keeping your focus on, on what the end goal is or what you want to achieve. Um, and my biggest thing is you can't let the little things get in the way of, of that big picture of what you want to do. And those are those little obstacles that, that are along the sides. You, you know, I mean, a tree, it grows and it has a giant trunk and it grows up there and it has all these little teeny branches. And if you wanted to climb that tree to get to the very top, the last thing you're going to do is grab on those little teeny branches mm -hmm. to try to make it to the top. Because if you continue to do that, those little branches are going to break you're going to fall and you're going to land back down on the ground and you're never going to get to the top of that tree. But if you stay right in the middle of that tree and up that trunk, you know, and you keep your focus that way, I mean, that's how you're going to achieve and get those goals and not be deterred by those obstacles. Um, and again, a great saying that, that, you know, that has, that I've always resonated and lived by is, you know, if you lead a good life, good things are going to happen to you. You know, people all the time are trying to take shortcuts mm -hmm. and do this. And in many ways, you know, some people are really successful initially on those things, but those shortcuts eventually catch up to them and they get caught, they get thrown back that, you know, the, the bad things start to develop around those. I mean, you see all these individuals who are running these schemes and making millions of dollars and, but eventually things get caught up with them. People who take shortcuts to try to get, you know, this or that. Eventually things get caught up to them. But it, again, you know, bad things do happen to good people. And again, those are part of life's challenges. And it's how we deal with those bad things. Because, uh, you know, again, there, there's a purpose of why those bad things happened. We might not know why they happen today, but eventually in the long run, we will. You know, um, it might not be in our life, might be in our afterlife when we get up to heaven and say, now I understand why that happened, that what I thought was a bad thing happened to me. But really, it ended up being a great thing that happened to me. Um, but yeah, keeping, you know, lead a good life, good things will happen to you. And, and that's really what I try to focus on and, when I, and, and to avoid those obstacles. That's some great advice right there. And I, I understand and agree with you completely when you said that, you know, people want the, the quick thing, right? They, they want to get the goal yeah. quick. My coach mentioned to me the other day, he's like, everybody wants the microwave, right? They want that instant yeah. gratification, yeah. that instant success, and they try yeah. to cut the corners. But when you do that, like you said, the, the bad things start to happen, right? Eventually, that's going to crumble down. And so as we're going through the journey, as we're doing things the right way, putting in the hard work, yes, we will face those those hard times, those, those difficult situations, and we just have to have faith during that time and tell ourselves, you know what? I don't understand why I have to deal with this. I, I would prefer not to, but this is going to happen. This is happening for a reason, right? I just yeah. have to stay focused on the end goal. Like you said, just keep climbing up that trunk. Stay focused on what's right in front of you. Don't reach out to those little branches. I love that yeah. analogy that you used. So, you know, you're at the end of your, your college journey now. NAI national champion, successful career in wrestling. What was the next phase? What was the next chapter for you in life after your college wrestling career? So, yeah, so I, so I graduated and, and my goal was to, you know, do what I loved, you know, and keep wrestling a part of my life. Um, and so I, I graduated with an education degree. 
and um, looked at, you know, I wanted to be a, uh, my end goal was eventually, you know, hey, maybe be a college wrestling coach. But again, I wanted to go back and teach at high school level and, and coach, you know, um, at that level um, and, and be at that level. So that, that's initially what I did. And I moved back to San Diego um, to do my student teaching. As a student teacher, it had different curriculums, different schools. Yeah. It was a lot of work, but I, I loved it. Here I was in, you know, sunny San Diego. In the morning, I was in a controlled environment of the classroom. In the afternoon, I was outside, you know, out running kids, playing games outside, enjoying the beautiful weather in San Diego. And so I was loving this. I mean, it was it was a great thing. Um, so I was very excited. I was excited to become a teacher. So I, and then there was a great opportunity. A uh, psychology teacher was taking a one-year sabbatical, mm-hmm. um, and so I was like, "Hey, great! I'm going to be applying for her job. I, you know, I know her well. I know the school. I know everybody there." And I went in and interviewed for this job. Here was my foot in the door, and uh, thought I was going to get the job, and I ended up not getting it. And so it, it left a really bitter taste in my mouth of like, man, I'm not even starting my career yet, and I'm kind of dealing with politics, yeah. you know, in education. So I was like, that's it. So I, uh, I went back up to North Dakota, so I wanted to make a, a drastic change. So I figured now, you know, hey, I'm going to go into business and, and get my master's, you know, go get my MBA, and then I'm going to come out and I'm going to go work for some big, large corporation you know, and make billions of dollars and, and go, you know, be it, I'll be 25 when I graduate with my master's and, you know, go out and rule the world. And that was my kind of thought at that point and stuff uh, at that, that time. Um, so I started my master's degree back up in North Dakota. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we get back to it, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. Staying safe is more important now than ever before, which is why Safe Streets is one of my favorite companies. Safe Streets is the only authorized provider of ADT monitoring in the country, making them industry experts in home security and automation. Right now, Safe Streets has a special offer for our audience. Get a free doorbell camera and $100 Visa gift card with new system activation and installation. To reserve your Safe Streets offer today, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. Yeah, that's so much what you just shared. It's really neat because, you know, that's had to have been, I can't imagine what it must have felt like, you know, like you said, to be going forward and be excited and passionate about this teaching. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're within reach of what you're pursuing, right? That career, that job, and then to have it basically taken away from you, that definitely had to have been screwed. I can't imagine. But in that situation, what I love is what you said is, you know, you you took that detour, right? And Zig Ziglar, one of his quotes says, uh, setbacks, aren't dead ends, they're detours, right? You right. didn't give up right there. You said, okay, you know, I'm going to switch this. Way. I'm going to go another direction. And you kept moving forward with your life, with that journey. And that's just another instance of what we talked about earlier about just going along that path and facing an obstacle and not really being sure why that obstacle is there, but having faith, right. you know, in the end, at the end of the journey, it's going to be for a reason. It is for a purpose. And yeah. the purpose was for you to go back to school, get your master's degree, which is really cool. So, you know, Life has a tendency, like we've been talking about, to throw trials and challenges at us when, when we least expect them. And I know you were hit really hard with a challenge when you were back 
pursuing your degree. Uh, would you mind talking about that? Sure. So, uh, you know, we've talked about some of my other challenges of, you know, I, I mentioned it just briefly earlier, you know, again, when I was in third grade, you know, my parents divorced, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I grew up as a military brat. Um, and then, you know, my dad passed away, you know, when I was a uh, a freshman in college, he was, you know, 48 years old, um, very young and everything. Um, the other thing, you know, here I was thinking about, you know, I was going to become a teacher and everything, and I had to, you know, now switch. So a variety of challenges that, you know, that, that I've gone through in my life, but yeah. now it's uh, ended up being New Year's of 99. And the biggest challenge in, in, of, of my life has now hit me. And, and that was, you know, uh, we, I was out at a New Year's party. A buddy of mine um, had rented a uh, hotel room and, you know, we were quote, being smart going to one place, not traveling around, drinking, driving and everything. New Year's of 99, you know, uh, the Prince song of, uh, you know, New Year's 99. It's, you know, supposed to be, you know, exciting time and everything. Um, and uh, I had gotten an accident that night, not driving, but we were at a uh, that hotel and um, it's, I, I suffered a spinal cord injury and, and anybody who's familiar with spinal cord injuries, the majority of them come from either a diving accident, car accident, gunshot wounds are, are really the, the, the big areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the other category, the other like 2% that does not exist. And I'm the only person who I've, I know that I ever had my uh, broken their neck um, in my, I had, but um, I was laying on actually what they call a Murphy bed, which is a bed that folds up into a wall. Mm-hmm. And it was a joke earlier in the night that people were laying on it and it, the bed was going up. And if you lay on it, you know, and then you push the bed up, you stay on it and come back down. And there's old I Love Lucy um, TV show where Lucy and Ricky are actually on a Murphy bed and there's a train that keeps going by and it vibrates and they keep going up and down. And so that was kind of the premise of how they started on that. Um, it was about 2 a.m. at this point. I'm sitting on the bed and I laid back on. So my feet, you know, I'm are sitting off on the on the floor and then I'm just laying back on the other bed. My other good buddies are sitting there laying there on the bed next to me. And neither we were just randomly talking, you know, about the new year and how fun it is. And this is what New Year's is supposed to be about. A bunch of friends together enjoying themselves and reminiscing on the years before. And a buddy grabs the bed and and pushes it up. Um, in fact, again, like I said, I wasn't completely laying on the bed. My feet were on the ground and pushing up. I felt back off the bed. And the first thing I hit the wall was my head and neck. And then the bed came up and literally just shoved my, 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 my chin to my chest, um, hard and forceful. Um, and when it did, my neck popped. And again, it wasn't an immediate pain or anything like that. Found it like, you know, you cracked your neck in the morning stuff, but just a lot louder and a lot more resonating. And I mean, I can still to this day have that sound in my head. Um, and when I came back down, I went to sit up and all of a sudden my hands went numb, my feet went numb and I went and knew there was something wrong. Didn't know I suffered a spinal cord injury at that thing. But yeah, the next day, I, uh, you know, ambulance came, I woke up in the hospital and I had had surgery and, you know, the doc comes in and, and tells me what's, you know, happened that I had a severe, serious injury and, you know, I, you know, the possibility of paralysis and everything and I looked at him like no it's not possible you know I'm you know here I am 24 year old you know you think you're invincible I, that's not happened to me you know to me um, and the truth was it, it was I, I suffered a c56 uh, spinal cord injury um, which makes 
cervical, which makes me a quadriplegic, um, technically. Even though I am able to move my arms and hands and, and function that, um, they classify whether you're paraplegic or quadriplegic based on the level of your injury of, of your back. But most people don't realize, most people think if you're a quad, you're very much um, like a Christopher Reeves, you can't move anything. And that's a misnomer. You can be a quadriplegic. Um, it, it's all based on the various of injuries. And, and there are quadriplegics that are literally walking around today um, because of the severity of how much they injured the spinal cord is different. And so now I'm yeah laying there in a hospital bed being told I'm a quadriplegic and I'm never going to walk again. Um, and so that was, so now I'm dealing with the biggest uh, life experience that, that I, I've ever had. Um, uh, man, I mean, being, being in that hospital, you know, just receiving that news, like you said, the thoughts that were going through your mind, uh, without question, you, you were in that dark place, right? I mean, what or who was it that kind of helped you to kind of get out of that, that dark place to move forward with your yeah. life? So I, I really had a, uh, you know, I mean, to use a uh, cliche term, you know, um, to, uh, you know, I had a, eye-opening experience or and I had to you know uh really make a a decision you know of how I was going to deal with my injury mm-hmm. um and you know again there was a couple dark days and everything but I, I immediately kind of realized that I, I really had two choices to make um I could lay there in that bed you know and and complain and make every single excuse in the world of why this shouldn't have happened or who it shouldn't have happened. And this is not fair and this is not right. And I, or I could get up out of that bed and not make any excuses. And I realized if I lay there in the bed and I make all those excuses, the fact remains, I'm still gonna be laying there in that bed. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna change anything. The more I complain, the more I, I'm still sitting here in this bed. You know, somebody's not going to come in and say, oh, yep, we'll change that. You, you yelled at us for long enough, you know. It's like a baby crying. If the baby cries long enough, somebody will come over there and pick him up, you know, and, and give them a binky or something like that. If I'm sitting there yelling in that bed for three days, nobody's going to come in there and give me a magic pill and say, okay, you complained for three days. You're cured, you know, you can walk now. Mm-hmm. So I immediately decided, you know, that there, there's no point in doing that here's kind of you know the term of of the cards that i'm dealt and and how am i going to deal with them and so i I realized that so i decided laying in that bed i got to get up and i got to you know play with these cards that i have um so my mindset went back to exactly what i knew and my mindset was was wrestling you know whenever i faced a challenge a new opponent in wrestling how am i going to deal with that what is that? And so this this was my this injury was my opponent. How am I going to beat this opponent? How am I going to be better than this? Um, so I that's what I looked at. And and how do I do that? You know, it, it takes practice and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of di- dedication. And that's what I did. So my therapy sessions immediately became wrestling practices to me. They weren't just therapy sessions. So. Another term that I was always taught was champions come early and they stay late. And, and that's what I did. 
So I, I was at therapy well before it started. And then after therapy, I was there. And if I that therapist couldn't stay longer with me, I wanted her, them to tell me what I could do. And I just didn't want two therapy sessions a day. I wanted four. And if they couldn't give me four, well, give me two hours of therapy that I can do on my own. And that and that's how I looked at it every single day. You know, so I got up and I did therapy. And then I did therapy in the morning. Then I ate lunch. And then I went back in the afternoon and I did more therapy. And then I ate dinner. And then I went to bed. And then got up and did that. And, and again, that was my focus. I, I had a challenge. And my, my biggest thing on that is I wanted to, you know, in terms of a, an opponent to beat it, there's parameters based on your level of injury, what they say you should and shouldn't be able to do with your muscle innervation. And so I wanted to prove my doctor, my therapist, every time I could that no, you know, that the book says I shouldn't be able to do this, but you know what, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to do this. And that's what I did. And it was a motivating factor to me, you know, and one of the things my doctor came in and said to me, one of the very first times after my injury, he said to me, Joe, your life is going to change drastically. How you do it? You are probably going to be living in a, some sort of assisted living type place for the rest of your life. You're going to need somebody to help you probably get dressed every day, do kind of your help you get your little things, help you cook your meals, do that. If you're not in a place, somebody's going to be in your house or apartment helping you do that type of thing every single day. You know, you are not going to have your life as it is now, like independent. And he told me that right up front. And I can, again, remember that's looking at him and everything. And so that was another, that was that opponent that I wanted to beat. So I would come in, you know, and said, hey, you told me I shouldn't be able to do this. And the doctor said, yep. And you told me, yep. And every day. And when I finally, it was 99 days I was in rehab in the hospital as an inpatient. Um, and I left. And when I walked in there and I said to him and I said, hey, you told me I wasn't going to be able to do this. You told me I wasn't going to be able to do it. Why did you tell me that? He says, I did it to motivate you. He goes, I knew I understood your background. He goes, if I would have walked in there on that very first day and said, Joe, every single spinal cord injury is different. You could walk out of here in a week and you never, ever walk out of here, Joe. How would you be feeling about right now? But I gave you the darkest story i could tell you saying you're going to be in an assisted living place and somebody's going to have to help you put your clothes on every single day that motivated you he goes so every day you came in here after these 90 days and proved me wrong i walked out of here after you left he goes i just smiled because i knew you were going to come in here next week and tell me something else and next week you're going to tell me something else and that was a driving factor for you and that is what then you, and it was, you know, and, and he was like, you know, and I, going back to that wrestling community, when, when my dad passed away, that same community was still there. I mean, my college coach would come into practice with me or come into what I call practice. And my therapist initially was like, oh, this is great. But she realized I'm going to kill this kid, you know, because, you know, she would give me hey, do 10 of those. And he would be there, no, no, we're going to do 20 of these. And then, you know, no, no, we're going to do, you know. And she'd be like, he's going to die, you know. But I mean, I knew when he was there. So I looked at him and I was like, oh boy, it's going to be one heck of a workout. We're not just doing 10 of these. We're going to be doing 20 of these. We're not going to be doing 20 of those. We're going to be 30 of those. 
this is not going to be an hour session. This is going to be an hour and a half session, you know, because he was there, you know, and, and doing this. Um, and so that same type of thing was, uh, you know, what really drove me um, to be able to get out of that dark place and, and get me to where I am now because I was able to see, you know, again, a goal and, and, and focus. And I had that opponent and I was going to beat it. And, uh, you know, I, I truly believe if I did not have a wrestling background in that mentality, that mental aspect, um, I would not be where I'm at today and, and focused. And it, it's very true because most, the statistics are phenomenal. I don't know the exact number, but the percentage of quadriplegics who actually get back in society and are productive working careers and stuff um, is probably less than 20%, you know? you know, 75, 80% of them do have some sort of subsistence living, whether they're on social security or some sort of disability. Um, and it, that's, I mean, I, I see that because of some of the uh, sports programs that I've gotten involved with. A lot of them, yeah, these guys or these females um, are still getting some sort of subsistence living um, from federal government. They've never gone back and created, a, a, gone back to a full-time, you know, career or anything like that. Because um, it is tough, but I mean, my that mental mentality of wrestling has got me to where I'm at. I love that. That's something that I can definitely relate to. That's inspiring because my mom, you know, when I was born, doctors were telling her from day one, they said, you know, you're gonna have to take care of him for the rest of your life. And she was 16 when she had me. So they were actually trying to convince her uh, to put me up for adoption. They said, you know, there's going to be someone else that can better handle the, the care and the needs that he's going to have as he moves forward, as he grows in, and becomes a man. Uh, but my mom, you know, she never allowed me to use uh, that challenge to, to quit. She never allowed me to use the challenge as an excuse to give up. And what you said about treating the challenge as an opponent, that's that's the perfect example of it right there. That's the perfect way to describe it is you view this challenge and it's not like, okay, you know, I, I just give up because this challenge is in front of me. It's like, just like a wrestling match, right? You start developing the strategy. You start developing like, okay, how am I going to attack this opponent that's right in front of me? How am I going to get my arm raised at the end of it? And I think that's so relevant right now with what we're dealing with, with this pandemic. I mean, people have lost loved ones. They've lost their life savings. They lost their businesses. And so now they're sitting there with this monumental challenge in front of them thinking, you know, what am I going to do? What can I do? I'm in this dark place. Like it's impossible, but if you approach it the way you have described it, right, you view this challenge as an opponent, right? How am I going to attack this? How am I going to get my arm raised at the end of it? That's how you become victorious and how you prove right. doctors wrong, right? How you prove to them that how they say impossible is found only in the dictionary of fools, right? There's no such thing as impossible. You just have yeah. to be willing to attack it and come up with that strategy and focus on that strategy to beat your opponent. Exactly. So it, it's, you got me fired up right now. I want to, <laughs> I want to get out there and work out right now. But I mean, just your journey, just overcoming these challenges, just, just going through these dark places and coming out the other side of them, you know, overcoming your challenges. You're, you're the definition of, of unstoppable to me. I mean, what you did was you, you reinvented yourself, right? You faced these challenges. You didn't say I'm, I'm done. You took the detour. You kept moving forward. You, you pursued that journey. I heard also that you, you kept active. And, and you went from wrestling to dance. And that's kind of a, that's a unique yeah. switch. <laughs> it is. So, uh, uh, well, 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 let's just say, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story of the answer. It wasn't a, uh, I, I kind of got it, got roped into that um, <laughs> unexpectedly. But, and you talk about how life changes courses and, and for the, for and unexpected things. This was one that is uh, 
definitely I would have never ever thought of in my life. But in hindsight, it was a wonderful life experience. And I get a lot of grief from my guy friends now about it. Um, and I'll, I'll give you the joke about it at the end. But um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm back in San Diego and um, after my injury and uh, our assistant wrestling coach at the, when I was in high school, his wife um, has, has run a professional dance company, modern dance, jazz and, and ballet. Um, company for years and years and so she reaches out through uh, coach Campo and says hey do you think Joe would be interested in being a part of one of these dance things and you know he reaches out to me I'm like no no thanks I'm not going to be able to do that you know, in the back of my mind but I know her you know and I'm, I'm just not going to say no but mm -hmm. mentally I'm going yeah this is for the birds not definitely not me and so of course I'm like, yeah, sure. Tell Faith, I'll come down and I'll meet her and I'll look at it. So I'm doing my, you know, hey, great family friend. I'm going to go down, meet her, say, hi, this is great. But hey, thanks. No, thanks. You know, that, that's my mindset. So I go down there and I meet them where they are and I get down there and I start talking to her. And she's like, all right, Joe, here, we're going to have you here right here. And she already has me choreographed into this whole thing. <laughs> And we start literally like practicing that day. And I get down with the practice. I'm like, how do I say no now? She asked me, <laughs> Chore there's like 10 other people here and I'm choreographed into this whole thing. And I'm like, I can't say no now. I'd be like the biggest <laughs> jerk in the world. And so I stay a part of it. We, we do a couple, we, we do, we actually do, a, a, that was just kind of a group thing. And then we did a couple more where it was just a kind of a, not a solo, but me and one other gal. Yeah, it was modern dance, um, something I would have never, and like I said, a lot of my friends give me grief. They look back at it, they'll see the video, and they're like, you know, what the heck is that? And I give them hindsight. I said, you know, hey, you know what? Here I am, modern dance, the vast majority of people in modern dance are female dancers, mm -hmm. right? And I go, how many ugly female dancers out there do you know? And they're, they kind of look at me like, yeah, no. I go, okay, so I'm like one of the few guys and I'm surrounded by a bunch of beautiful female dancers. <laughs> I realized in hindsight, this was not a bad gig at all. I could be in a lot worse places. <laughs> and so I, again, it, it was something I never would have thought of in a, a life experience that I loved. I, I got a much more appreciation for the arts and everything like that. I am the least artistic person in the world. You asked me to draw a stick man and it is an ugly stick man. Um, it does not look good. Um, so, you know, I really got an appreciation for the arts and that side of the culture and everything. Um, it helped me look at things in a different perspective. And again, that's one of those wonderful life experiences that I would have never in a million years gotten into. And in hindsight, it, it was a blessing. And I really enjoyed doing that. Um, on the other side, yeah, I, I, my athletic, I, I have to keep, you know, busy and everything besides going to the gym and everything. Um, I did some wheelchair rugby for a while. Um, uh, injuries with, with the contact of the sport. I had one rotator cuff surgery. Never had a surgery out of out of wrestling. So, um, and uh, pushing in a wheelchair every day. I got to keep my shoulder. So, I've kind of resigned from rugby. But is one the other thing I did pick up. Um, and the thing rugby was great because I loved it because it was very much like wrestling. It had a lot of contact, a lot of physical things. Yeah. The other different part about it was it was one of those team things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just like with football or basketball, if the guy misses the shot, guy drops the ball, you know, you lose the game. Same thing with rugby. If the guy doesn't, you know, uh, again, 
there's not shots, but the guy doesn't, you know, you got to worry about team stuff. So I, I came across um, rowing or crew mm-hmm. and I went down and I tried it. It's just, you know, blocks from where I, I currently live now. And I got out there and I quickly realized I, I love this because I'll be out there. It's I go out in a boat by myself. It's just me in the boat. It's not with the standard eight people. So I do what they call. There's two different types of rowing. One is called uh, sculling, which which I do, which is uh-huh. two oars, and the other one is called sweep, which is the one oar that you'll also see with like the eight or four people in it. And I got into sculling, and I loved it because there I was out on the water by myself. So it's an independence thing. Yeah. Growing up in San Diego, you know, I love the ocean. I love the water. And now I'm out here on, on a river, um, out here by myself. I'm out on the water. I love being outdoors. Um, and then I'm here, I'm on a boat by myself as well. And so when I race, when I compete, when I do that, it is my biggest uh, critic is myself. Mm-hmm. When I get done with the race, you know, I'm mad about this because I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And there's only one person to blame, myself. Just like with wrestling, if I lost that match, I can't blame my coach. I can't blame the stands. I can't blame that guy. I get to blame myself because I didn't do this. I didn't prepare. I didn't wrestle this way. I didn't do that. Same thing with, with Roy. That's what I loved about it in this boat. I had nobody else. We built a great community here with our, our adaptive rowing community. Um, I traveled all over, you know, uh, competing and stuff like that. And then physically on the body, I'm like, rugby it's not as uh impactful uh, yeah. on the body so this is something i can do for years and years down the road i still stay active with um, as much as i can with with other sports um recreation the uh, going out on hand cycles you know going skydiving or anything else fun like that skydiving. Um, yeah <laughs> i don't know but about I'm, that one man I, i've been once <laughs> I, I would do it again it was, really? it was a good time yeah it was good it was a lot of fun yeah, I understand that, man. It just sounds like you had some really cool experiences. I mean, I don't know about the skydiving, but the rowing, I mean, that, that definitely sounds like a lot of fun to me. So if I'm ever in your area, I'll definitely have to look you up. And oh, You'd you know. be great at it. You would be great. Yeah, yeah you it should looks definitely. Like a, well, I'll definitely, I'll be hitting you up then when I'm out in the D.C. area. That, that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun and a, a cool challenge. But, yeah, we'd uh, love to have you out. <laughs> sounds good, Joe. But, you know, man, thank you so much for your time today. It's It's been a pleasure just hearing your story and, and hearing your words of wisdom because uh, it's inspiring, you know, just, just to well, thank hear, you. hear how you've overcome challenges and your advice on how to stay focused. And, and like you said, attack those opponents in front of you, right? Treat the challenge like opponents. I love that. And I know you're a busy guy. So if it's okay with you, I would just like to wrap up today with what I like to call the short time questions. I know you're familiar with that yeah. phrase in wrestling, right? Short time. So yes. basically what we have here is just the last couple of questions and you just shoot off whatever comes to your mind first, if that's all right. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good, sir. So first question, what's your favorite book or movie? Favorite book or movie? Well, I'm a horrible reader, so I have to go with a movie. Um, So my favorite movie is um, with Robin Williams and why am I blanking on it? Uh, Dead Poet Society. That's a great movie. Favorite motivational quote? Um, Both the uh, two that that I gave out today is uh, you lead a good life and good things are going to happen to you mm-hmm. and champions come early and stay late. I like that. Last question, Joe. What does unstoppable mean to you? What does unstoppable mean to me? Unstoppable to me is keeping your focus on your big picture of life. 
it's not letting those type of things bring you down. There's so much positive things, you know, going in our world um, that, that we can be a part of, that we can do to improve ourselves. Man, that's awesome, Joe. Thank you so much for sharing with me. And I mean, I just have to tell you, I mean, your story, it, it's touched more than one person. You, you, everyone who hears your story, who has the opportunity, you're, you're going to be changing lives. Thank you so much for sharing and giving me this chance uh, to hear more about you and what you're about and your journey. Thank you for sharing. Hey, well, thank you, man. I appreciate this wonderful opportunity. You have a great program and uh, thank you. And again, congratulations on your engagement. Uh, very happy for you. And uh, about the engagement, I might be hitting you up for some dance tips, man, because my <laughs> my brain is all wrestling. I'm just worried about, you know, thinking bear hug and underhook and stuff like that. There you so go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need some dance tips. <laughs> Sounds great. But you take care, Joe. Thank you so all much. All right. You too. Man. All right. Thank you. Hearing Joe's story and how he got through the darkest of times in his life was powerful. Bad things might happen. If you find yourself in the darkness, Remember what Joe said. You could scream and cry and complain all you want, but the reality is that it won't change anything. Sitting around feeling sorry for yourself won't remove the challenge that you have to face. So instead of complaining, instead of asking, why me? Ask yourself, how do I move forward? Treat your challenge like you would treat an opponent. You can't run from it, and you can't hide from it but you can attack it with everything that you've got. And that, my friends, is what Unstoppable is all about. That's it for today, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me on Facebook and Instagram at The Unstoppable Podcast or email me at theunstoppablepodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Safe Streets, the leader in smart home security and automation and America's only ADT authorized provider. Safe Streets will help protect what you value most. To talk to an expert and get a free quote today, call 844-980-SAFE. That's 844-980-7233. The Unstoppable Podcast is a production of Anthony Robles Enterprises, LLC, in partnership with The Really Good Home Podcasts. I'd like to thank my editor, Laura Batista, producer Katie Pulatunoff, and my senior producer, Andy Frazier. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day, and remember... Be unstoppable.